Proverbs chapter 3. Each day our lives are filled with decisions. Decisions that we make inside and outside. Little ones, big ones. Decisions flood our life regularly. As we age, we expect those decisions to get better. Yesterday, I'm outside working. I'm in the garage working on some stuff. And the kids are outside playing. Eden's outside. She's wearing a play dress, which would have been one that was Mariah's, and is probably at least two sizes too big. For Eden, she likes them to drag the ground. That's how she knows they're long enough. And so she's got on this dress, two sizes too big. She then throws a sweater on top of it. Now, mind you, when I got in the car to move the car, the little temperature gauge came up at 100 degrees in our driveway. So she now has on a dress that goes down to the ground and a sweater on top of it in 100 degrees to play. But that's not in and of itself enough. You see, the night before, one of her drawers wouldn't close, so I pulled the drawer out to see something would gotten stuffed in behind it. And there was a bomber hat, a winter bomber's hat with the ear things and the little clip on it that was back in there from when Justice was like two or three years old. So Eden now has on a bomber hat wrapped down around her ears, clipped on, and it's like red and gray plaid. And then a bright pink sweater and a green dress running around barefooted playing in the driveway. My neighbors think I'm a great dad, what can I say? And you look at that and you go, man, that's a lot of bad decisions. And then she finally pulls it off, she's just all sweaty headed, you know. We look at that and we go, man, those aren't very wise decisions. When we get to that place, we we then recognize with kids, they make bad decisions and and it's okay. We kind of laugh at it. You ever sat in the waiting area getting ready to board a plane these days? When did the line to get on the airplane and the soup kitchen line look the exact same? And you look at people and go, really? That's what you're traveling in? And people, when they go to travel now, they dress as if they're homeless. And I don't comprehend that. There was a day when you actually dressed up to travel, but no, not anymore. And you look at it, you just go, man, there's some poor decisions right there. When we go through life, we are constantly confronted with decision-making. And the reality is, is most of the decisions that we make day in and day out are not clearly defined for us in Scripture. Questions like, should I eat out today? What should I wear? How should I respond to this instance of my child's behavior? Should I stop, or excuse me, should I go shopping today or tomorrow? Should I check my email again? You know, the Bible doesn't even give specific guidance on huge life-shaping decisions, like, should I marry this person? Should I get married? Should I give more or save for retirement? Should we adopt a child? Should I pursue a different vocation? Should we put our kids in private school or public? Should I pursue chemo or try an alternative cancer treatment? Should we buy this house or a less expensive one? Which college should I attend? Is it time to put my elderly parent in a nursing home? Should I quit my job and go to the mission field? These are huge questions that you can look all day in Scripture, and there's not going to be a specific answer with your name attached to it. These kinds of decisions tend to have multiple acceptable options within the scope of God's revealed moral will. 
yet he cares deeply about the details and course of our lives. So let us look at what guidance God gives to help us navigate in these slightly ambiguous areas. How is it that we make those decisions when we don't know exactly what to do? The first thing we have to do to make those decisions wisely is to focus on the process and not the outcome. Proverbs chapter 3 clearly gives us an incredible process that we go through when we're making life's decisions. Join me in verse 1. My son... Forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Now, you pause right there, and you look at verse 2, and you go, length of days, long life, and peace. These are elements that we want in life. So if you want this type of life, then let's follow this prescription, this process. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. So these are tied together, verse 3 and 4. Verse 5 and 6 we know well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Give God that respect. Don't be proud, conceited. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. When we go through life and we're confronted with those decisions, there is an end that is the happy man, the individual who is blessed, the individual that has that peace and long life in their way, the individual that is rightly related with God because they have wisdom and they have understanding, and it comes through the process that is laid out here for us. Process is always important. It is true in every discipline of life. But boy, don't we like the outcome. Just take academically. In our society, we are becoming more and more outcome-centric in our academics. Meaning, in the state of Virginia, they have what are called SOLs. I don't know what they're called here. It's something similar to that. And basically, you go through the school year, and you have to take your SOL at the end of the school year. And depending on how your class does on their SOLs impacts every aspect of the school. So government funding is provided for schools that have better SOL scores. You can't go on to the next grade if you don't pass your SOLs. So everything becomes hinged on this test at the end of the year. And the irony of it is in order to get the grades done on time, they have to give SOLs about two months before the school year is done. And from the time they take their SOLs until the end of the school year, they basically do nothing. Uh, they just fill that time because they've already taken the one test that was so vital and important to the school year. They've taken education, and instead of worrying about whether students master the subject, they worry about whether they can pass a test. Now, 
Some of you in here are completely guilty of this from when you were in school. Teacher gives the material. You may or may not take the notes, depending on if you can get them from someone else. You go through. You don't worry much with it. It comes test time. You cram for the test. You pass the test. Maybe even get a good grade on the test. You come along. Next test. Project. You cram on the project. Final test. You cram. You pass. At the end of the class, you get a good grade. You're done. And you look back on it and go, hey, what did you learn in that class? Oh, I got no idea. Because the goal was to get through the class instead of to master the subject. So the outcome is what's important, not the process of learning. You cannot become great at any musical instrument unless you go through the process of learning it. You don't become healthy unless you go through the process of exercise and diet to become healthy. The process is always important. And when it comes to decision-making, you focus on the process. And what happens is when the outcome comes along, and if the outcome's not what we wanted, then we can get frustrated, we second-guess ourselves, we jump to conclusions. You don't focus on the outcome. You simply focus on the process. Right now, Kara is just over four weeks in the hospital, two weeks at home. So six plus weeks now of laying. That's what she's been doing for six weeks. For the last four weeks, she's been in the hospital. The nurse came in and said, so we've gotten to know several of the nurses very well over the course of time. One nurse came and said, she goes, you don't understand. 80% of the ladies who come in in your condition don't listen to us. And I'm going, that's probably a bit of an exaggeration. I mean, this is, you know, kind of critical. This is life and death for the kids. And she goes, no, 80% don't listen to us at all. And I thought, no. So yesterday we had gone up and my mom was up there and the kids were up there. And so they're in the room with Kara. And so I got out of the room. Okay. So I came outside and I just stood out there for a few minutes talking to the nurse because it was quiet out there. And, and so I'm standing there talking to the nurse. And while I'm up, I'm, I'm maybe three, four minutes. I'm standing out there talking to her. And as I'm talking to her, this lady who's in the room next to Kara comes walking out, who's on bed rest and supposed to be laying down. She comes walking out to see the nurse and say, hey, when you get a chance, I need something, if you could come in and help me with it. I go, but um, aren't you supposed to be in bed? <laughs> There's a little button there you can push. You don't have to get up and walk out. What they are doing for most of the ladies on that floor is not complicated. It's not medical genius. It's lay there. Do nothing. Keep things simple and keep making fingers and toes. All right, that's your job here. You have to trust the process. And if you'll trust the process, it'll work. And the lady said, look, for the 20% who listen, it works. It works. We, we have great results from it. But you've got to do what we tell you to do. When we come to decision-making in our lives, if we will look into Proverbs chapter 3 and just simply do what the Lord challenges us to do and teaches us to do, and trust the process, then the outcome will take care of itself. And then, honestly, at the end with the outcome, I don't even have to worry about the result. Because I know that the process is going to bring me to verse 13, to that happy is the man that findeth wisdom and getteth understanding. 
So let's go back and let's look at the process. Now, as we go through this and, and we look at our decision making, one of the things we have to understand is our decisions that we make in this process will show our love. Our decisions will show where our heart is. It will show where our love is at. So as I'm making these decisions, if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, if I look to God, then it will show my love for God. If I'm looking towards finances, it will show my love towards finances. If I'm looking towards the approval of people, it will show my love towards the approval of people. So the decisions that I make in life will show where my heart is. It will show my love. So here's the process, simplified, and then we're going to expand it out. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. First of all, there in the process is to trust. To simply put my dependence and belief in what God says. And we've even looked at that in the last few weeks on Sunday morning. Trust that God is big, that he is able, and that I don't have to put anything in this life before him because I can depend on him. Remember the Sabbath. Why? His provision is going to take care. When I trust, then I don't have to worry about the details of it. So when it comes time for certain decisions in our life, if I just trust that whatever God says is going to work, it takes so much of the decision out of it. Many times we agonize over things that we already know the truth. We just don't want to do them. But when I will just simply trust, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding. That phrase, lean not. The idea here is to forget your interpretation. (laughs) This is great to me. Forget your interpretation. So don't lean into your own understanding. Man, we can take Scripture and interpret it to mean exactly what we want it to mean. And that's not at all what the Bible's teaching. When I will just trust and say, okay, God, look, this is you. You're always right. You're always just. You're always holy. So, God, I'm going to trust. And then I'm not going to lean into what I want the outcome to be. Because we want certain things to go certain ways, we will come to Scripture, and it is not what we are looking at, it's the way we are looking at it that is the issue. All of us have bias. All of us have perspective. And that taints our view even of the Word of God. So the idea of leaning not into my own understanding is that I will not try to find my interpretation of it, but I will genuinely go back to the truth of Scripture and openly give myself over to what God says. Lean not... Excuse me, trust in the Lord with all thine ways and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, the way they're all. Be consistent, be complete, and be continual. This is the key here. All right, so if I'm going to walk with the Lord and I'm going to trust in him and I'm going to lean into him and not into my own interpretation, if I want the process to work regularly and continuously throughout my life, I have to do it consistently. It can't be that in this one area of my life, Oftentimes, what happens? We go through life, and we're, we're living our own way. We're trusting our own interpretation. We're walking in our own wisdom. We're not worried about what God says. And then we come to a major difficulty, and we go, but God just won't show me his way. And the reality is God's been showing you his way for years, 
and you just hadn't been listening. And so now you can't even hear. You can't even determine. I enjoy hunting. You get out in the woods, and the woods are not a quiet place. People think, oh, it's so nice and calm and quiet and peaceful out there. I hate squirrels. They're the noisiest little stinkers when you're out there in the woods, man. They make all kind of noise around. And, and you, things falling out of trees, and yes, it makes a sound if no one's there to hear it. And, and so you got all this noise going on out in the woods. And when you first start, every noise, it's, I mean, you're, you're looking to see what it is. You're bringing your gun up. You're, you're, I mean, you're ready for it. But the experienced hunter, he begins to know what sounds are actually something worth paying attention to and which sounds to just ignore. And oftentimes, the things you need to pay attention to are very subtle. And it is amazing to me how the bigger the deer, the quieter they are in the woods. They didn't get big by accident. And, and when you learn to listen to what's really there, consistent. Consistently listening to God, to that still, small voice. And when those decisions come, it's amazing how when I'm consistently listening to God, I can just hear His voice at the quietest of times. But complete. We are so bad about obeying as long as it's convenient for us. But if I'm going to take God's word in all my ways, that means every aspect of my life, I'm going to listen carefully, consistently, completely, and I'm going to keep doing it time after time after time. When you go through life and you are taking those steps constantly and consistently, it's amazing how naturally the good decisions just start piling up. And they start piling up and the decisions get easier to make. Your health gets constantly better as you make the right decisions in your health. Your skills on a musical instrument get better as long as you consistently keep after them. Your academics, as long as you consistently keep after them. It's a process, and it takes time, but we must be consistent, complete, and continual. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In other words, I have to know what he is saying. I recognize him, I give authority to him, and I know what the Bible teaches. If I don't know what the Bible teaches, then I don't have any way to guide my steps. So I come back to Scripture and I just say, okay, I'm going to study to show myself approved. I'm going to know the Word of God so that when these decisions come in my life, I know the principles that should guide me, the boundaries that keep me in. It's like when you're a kid and you go bowling and they put those big tubes and the gutters down the side and, and you throw your bowling ball down there and the ball can't go off the lane. The Word of God keeps us in the lane. It, it, it keeps us from going off. Now, I can remember as a teenager going and trying on one of those little lanes to see how many times I could bounce the ball back and forth and still get it all the way down. When we walk in the Lord, the gutters keep us in the lane, but in time... We start going right down the middle, and right down the middle, and the consistency is there because we know the Word. We've trusted the process, and then finally, be patient. Be patient. He will direct thy ways, but it takes time. Boy, patience is hard because what we want is we want major life-altering intervention from God 
to help show us the perfect answer and then to bring an instant outcome that puts us in a great place. And God says, I've got a happy place, according to Scripture, but it's going to come when you consistently, completely, continually, over time, are patient and come to that place. We want get-rich-quick schemes. And God's saying, don't, don't worry about that. Just be a good steward of what you have. I'll take care of the rest. So we take this process and we begin to put it to use in our life. We trust in the Lord. We forget our interpretation. We are consistent, complete, continual. And we know what the Bible teaches and we're patient. So when those decisions come and we are faced with them, we now still have steps that we have to take. And how do I continue? You see, when we go through life and we do what we know, we will know what to do. Do what you know and you will know what to do. You go, Pastor, I don't understand that. I don't know what to do. Do what you know and you will know what to do. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Your senses will grow to know what is good and what is evil in your life, what is wise for you, when you go through the process and you do what you know, and in time God will help you to know what to do. But if I don't do what I know already, I'm not going to get more information to help me to know what to do. I just have to begin simply. We love a remedy that we can open a bottle and take a pill and it fixes the problem instead of the work that goes into doing it the right way so that there's a long-term solution. When you take medicine, Every medicine on the bottle, on the packaging, on the label from the pharmacist, there's the side effects. When you do the process right, there are no negative side effects. But when you try to pop the pill, there are always side effects. We have to simply do what we know, and then we will know what to do. The rest of this passage helps expand this for us. Look in verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. So don't forget my law, keep my commandments. The idea here is to know and obey the law and the commandments. The law, there's Torah, the Bible law. So know the Bible law, and then the commandments are the kind of the civil, the local authorities. So obey God and his word, and obey those in authority over you. When we take our lives and we start by obeying, by having an attitude of submission, by living our life recognizing that there is authority, we are to submit to that authority, and walking underneath that authority. Then all of a sudden now, God begins to bless that because He has put authority in place. That becomes hard from us when, when we think the authority is ungodly, when we think the authority is evil authority. But so much of the New Testament that talks about submitting to authority is talking to individuals who were owned, who were literally slaves. Talking to individuals who were under emperors that were burning believers alive, that were throwing them to the wolves. We don't live under that type of oppression. So we have to come to it with a recognition that I have authority, both scriptural 
and human, and God is in all of it. So I begin by obeying them. Look there in verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Look, if you want good understanding and favor with God and man, don't let go of mercy. Don't let go of truth. Be merciful. Look at it another way. Be loving. When you love, it's easy to show mercy. So love thy neighbor as thyself. Show mercy to them. Because when you have that attitude and that mercy, what happens now is my decisions are not clouded by the emotion of anger. Oh boy, doesn't anger cloud our emotions? Doesn't bitterness just ruin our thinking? But when I'm merciful, now I can make that decision. Not in what gets them even. Not in what gives them their due. But in just sheer goodness. So you want to know what decisions to make? Have a merciful heart, and that wisdom and understanding will come. Look down in verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Take in your eyes. Put down your own wisdom, your own knowledge, and say, look, what is more important here is not that I have the right answer. Don't you like to have the right answer? But that God has the right answer, and I come to his. I've told you this, and it's so true. I love having a smartphone because I don't have to be ignorant anymore. If there's a question that comes up, I just search it and get the answer, and on I go with life. And so I could get that information so quickly. 20 years ago, young people, we, we just were dumb. I mean, we just didn't know, and so we just didn't learn it. And we just, hey, I, do you know? No, I don't know. Do you know? No, I don't know. So we just went on not knowing, and life was perfectly good. Now it's like, okay, i got to find that out. And, I gotta, and then I forget it, but it's okay because I can look it up again as long as there's Wi-Fi. I'm good. I have now so much knowledge available to me. Man, I sure think I'm smart. Karen and I have started joking that Dr. Google, you know, because anytime people in the hospital now and they've got a medical condition, well, I Googled it and this is what it said. And so everybody thinks they're their own doctor now and they Google their information and they have all the answers. When it comes right down to it, I can't Google God's will. But if I will put aside my own pride, say, God, what is more important here is not that I have the answer that makes me look good. Because I like those answers. It's that I have the answer that makes you look good. And so, God, if I have to look bad in it, okay. Because I'm going to fear the Lord. The Lord is so much more important. So let his decision reign. Continuing there in verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. How many times do our decisions get clouded just because there's evil here and all we need to do is get away from it? And yet we don't want to get away from it. Because if I get away from it, it might cost me some money. If I get away from it, it might cost me some pleasure. 
It might cost me some, some friends. Depart. Look, look, just get away from the evil. And when you get away from evil, it's amazing how much clearer your thinking can be. It's a simple thing. Nothing personal here, not trying to call evil, but when it comes time to, to purchase a vehicle, I don't ever walk up and say, okay, I'll take that one. I'll look at it, I'll say, all right, I'll see you tomorrow if I decide I want it. Well, don't you want to let me? No, I, I'm leaving, man. <laughs> that's, that's just a rule I have. I am walking out the door. Well, why don't you drive our car? Why don't I drive my car? Because... It's mine. All right, so you keep yours. I'll take mine. I'll see you tomorrow if I decide I want it. And it's because I recognize that you've got to get away from that pressure to be able to make the right decision. Depart from evil. Look, look, get away from that influence that can cause a poor decision. And do what's right. Do what's wise. Continuing on, verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. This is great. So many decisions that we face day in and day out that we can struggle with, little and big, can be easily taken care of when we recognize the need to exercise stewardship. You see, the giving of the first fruits is not because God needs our money. The giving of the first fruits is so that I recognize it's all God's money. And he just lets me use part of it. And when I come to that place where it's all God's money, and I recognize it and what I have, I'm just a steward of, then it's not, should I buy this? It's a matter of, well, God, is this where you want me to spend your money? And that makes all the difference. But if I will learn to exercise stewardship in money, then with my time, God, is this where you want me to spend my time? God, is this the way you want me to train your children? God, is this the way you want me to treat the wife that you have given me? And now every aspect of my life becomes stewardship. God, God you've given me this. How do you want me to use it? And that decision-making process changes completely because now it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with just stewarding what God has given me. Look at verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Wouldn't this be true? If God sent you a text message and said, stop doing that, you would go, oh, well, okay, I need to stop doing that. If God said, hey, you were a little rude to your spouse today, you would go, oh, okay, well, I guess I need to apologize. I would get that. But when the person who corrects you isn't God, that's a little harder pill to swallow, especially if that person's less than likable. If you want to make wise decisions, you have to learn to be correctable. Because God doesn't send us text messages. But God sends people along to help us and to help point out and to help chasten us. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like those people. 
They're not pleasant in my life. But it doesn't mean they're not needed in my life. And when we become correctable people, not, not people who compromise on Scripture just because someone has a different opinion than us. No, no, no. But when we're not in the right direction, and someone comes along and God uses them to align us to his will, if we're not correctable, then we're going to make a lot of bad decisions. And look, you know that person, unless you are that person. You know that person. Where you just go, man, I have tried to help them, and I don't mean to be overbearing, and I don't want to put, but man, they just won't listen. But we've all been there. But yeah. But for you and I, if we will simply be correctable, then the decisions get so much easier. The wonderful thing to remember in all of our decisions is that Jesus is our good shepherd. He's laid down his life for us so that all of our sins, including every sinful and defective decision, are covered by his blood. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He has a staff long enough to pull us out of every hole and a rod to guide us back when we stray. So as we go through decisions and we make them, God is there to shepherd us in those decisions. And remember this, the grace for tomorrow's decisions is not needed today. We have a phrase we use in my house. Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. There are decisions that have to be made, and the grace that God gives for those decisions may not be available today because I don't need to make that decision today. But our society, oh, no, you got to make that decision right now. Oh, no, I don't. I don't. And by the way, I can change my mind. I can make a decision and go, you know what? The Lord's really worked on my heart. He's correcting me. Because that was a bad decision. And I want to fix that. But when we go through life, all of these decisions that are all around us, if we will simply come back here to Proverbs chapter 3, and we will come to the Lord in genuine, submitted humbleness, fearing God, seeking to have his name lifted up, going through these principles of the process that he has laid out in Scripture, then we can come to a place to where his grace is there to help us make that decision when we need. The wisdom is given, the understanding is granted, and then we can go through life with the outcome that God wants. Not the outcome that I desire, the outcome he desires, because I've simply followed the process that he has given me. You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At HBCGA. .org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service. 
and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.